0: Love it. We should all learn something from them. All right, Revelation chapter number 6, continuing in our series 7, Revelation chapter number 6. It's good to have some guests with us tonight and friends, uh, Mark Gray and Miss Mary Gray. Uh, They're in town visiting Miss Miss Mavis, Spain. Uh, It's good to have them. Uh, They travel around the country, and Mark uh, sings a lot. So um, it's good to have them with us tonight. But Mark. (laughs) Revelation, sorry. Revelation chapter number six is where we're going to be. Uh, let me just say quickly, just a little uh, tidbit. We've been talking about uh, some missions trips that we're going to be taking. Uh, we are planning on taking one uh, next March, Lord willing, to uh, Africa. Those again, there are several that have come to me about uh, being interested in that. I'll have hopefully some more details in the coming weeks with price. Uh, but the dates we're looking at is probably around March 16th. Um, probably anywhere from seven to ten days on that and then we're looking to take a trip to Chile as well uh, later on uh, next year as well so just just excited about it I realized um, that there's never really a perfect time so you just have to do it (laughs) and especially with COVID you know we were there in San Francisco when everything shut down back in March so um, it's just something we're going to do it's something I've been wanting to do to do multiple trips per year so it's just something we're going to start doing You know, on a on a yearly basis. So I'm excited about it. If you're interested, uh, please come see me um, after church or in the next couple weeks, and we'll talk more. All right, Revelation chapter number six tonight. Revelation chapter number six. Uh, So last week we opened up the uh, the first four seals, and we unleashed the judgment upon the earth. And tonight we're going to look at the fifth and the sixth seal judgment. Now let me ask a question tonight, um, because we're going to be talking about uh, the wrath of the Lamb, but what are some examples in your mind, kids? You can even answer this. What are some examples of a threatening animal? When you think of an animal that is threatening, what do you think of typically? All right, Jocelyn, first hand us all. A lion, okay? Mia? Mosquitoes? Mosquitoes? They're pretty <laughs> threatening. Uh, Violet? A goose. <laughs> a tiger. A tiger. Okay, Colin? Are you pointing to your mom? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Threatening animal. What'd you say, Colin? Sorry. A bear. A bear. A bear. <laughs> Amelia? Lions, and tigers, and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> Ethan? A mountain, <laughs> A mountain lion. A what'd you say? A mean, A mean animal. <laughs> animal. I was waiting for you to say your dad. Kevin? A box jellyfish, A box jellyfish okay? Yes. Alligators are pretty threatening. Nate, what'd you say? Um, I'm gonna say hmm, like a time. What? What'd you say? A liger, a liger. okay. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Is that Napoleon dynamite or something? It's oh, it's a lion mixed up with a tiger. Thank you for clarifying that. It's a real okay, it's a real animal, okay. Man, we're getting way out of hand tonight. Yes. Ella, Shh. <coughs> Pastor's kid. Violet's turkey. <laughs> Violet's turkey. Ella? What? A bear's like this girl. A bear's like this Go, <laughs> Adam? A hungry wife. A hungry wife. <laughs> Threatening animal. Okay, let's just let's just stop right there. We can't get any better. Than, okay, Caden, she got one. Your father. Okay, that's good. All right. Now, what typically comes to your mind when you think of a lion what typically comes to your mind when you think of a lion someone hasn't answered yet comes to your mind when you think of a lion yes Um, um, yeah deadly animal that can hurt you or kill you yes you play the you it's trying to read your shirt yeah play the you love Circle of life. <laughs> what? She forgot. She forgot. Ellie, Emory. Sorry. What'd you say? They have a big mane. A big mane. Yes. Very good. Ian. Uh, the lion king. What? The lion, king. the lion King. All right. Very good. Now, what typically comes to your mind when you think of a lamb? When you think of a lamb. Yes. What is it? Uh, uh, just lost your name what's your daughter's name elizabeth Elizabeth, yes it's right there what do you think of when you think of a lamb she forgot okay oh okay (laughs) uh who hasn't answered yet andrew The the wool okay jenna God. god very good who hasn't answered yet all right tacy cute david oh my god let's let's end right there too all right uh, hands down hands down thank you thank you for the mic so the reason i'm asking this tonight is because i want you to look in revelation chapter 6 we're going to be in verses 9 through 17 but look at the very end verse number 16 we're going to start there And said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb now typically when you think of a lamb you don't think of a ferocious animal do you but what we're seeing in revelation is the warrior lamb king jesus is coming to really evoke vengeance upon the earth because of all of the sins and the rebellion upon mankind and he there, there's so many things that I want to talk about, but we're, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. But again, this lion, this warrior lion, is, is bringing down wrath. But it's opposite of nature because a lot of times what you think of in lamb, you think of someone that's, that's gentle, that's, that's meek, that's passive. Few animals are less threatening than the lamb, but this is a contemplating thing that we're going to see as we get into these sealed judgments. In Revelation chapter 6. So go ahead and follow along with me, starting in verse number 9, going down to verse number 17. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. So the scene shifts from down on earth with the first four horsemen of the apocalypse back to heaven. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? "'Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them "'that dwell on the earth.'" So uh, these were probably some of the martyrs that were slain during the tribulation time, and they wanted to, um, the, the, the acts of those that murdered them and killed them to, to be made right. Verse number 11, "'And white robes were given unto every one of them, "'and it was said unto them that they should rest yet "'for a little season unto their fellow servants, "'also in their brethren that should be killed.'" as they were, should be fulfilled. And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, uh, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Kind of, I mean, the picture here is almost even like a tree. Right now we're seeing it with, with the leaves just falling down as, as the wind is hitting through them. Verse 13, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, it's really kind of a terrifying picture when you think about everything that's happening here. Even as a fig tree casteth through and the figs, verse number 14, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every freeman hid themselves in dens and the rocks and the mountains and the caves of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. I mean, this is just an amazing picture fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand now that answer to that question is actually found next week in chapter 7 as we'll get there but what we're going to see tonight and really what we're seeing already is judgment being unveiled upon the earth and it's very difficult for us in our human understanding to comprehend sometimes how God could just destroy everything. You see, our problem with this is that we have a very flawed logic. Here's what I mean. We have a sin logic. So a lot of times when we picture God, we think of God as, yeah, he's he is he's holy, he is just, he is loving, he is compassionate, and those are true about God, right? God is all of those things. But really it's incomplete And sometimes People miss out on God Because they don't fully know God And they don't fully know His Son Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is a God of love Of God of mercy Of God of compassion But that's just one side of Him Here's what I mean Imagine, imagine if people only knew you By your best or worst trait Imagine that It's pretty terrifying right <laughs> Now Who would like that? Justin, would you like that? told you I had to call on you, you know. Nobody would like it if you were known by your best or worst trait, especially your worst trait. Now, I'm not going to ask you what your worst trait is. But imagine if you were known for your anger. I mean, honestly, who isn't known for their anger in here, right? Imagine if that was the only thing you were known for. Oh, Ryan is just an angry person all the time. Right, Cadence? Yes. Yes. Amen. (laughs) The family said amen. Uh, Kevin's like, yes. But... He's hiding <laughs> he's hiding in the dens in the cave back there But here here's the truth. That's let's pick on Aaron, or pick on ryan a little bit Ryan may be an angry person, right? Absolutely. But that's just one side of him. That's just one facet of him And the thing is with jesus. Yes, he is gentle. He is compassionate. He is loving But that is just one side of him. But god jesus is also a god of wrath a god of judgment And it's the whole picture you see, what we need, and here's the, here's the important thing. What we need is a balanced view of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, we must see the whole picture to understand the person. And this balanced view helps us understand Jesus in a better way. You, say, you see, he is love, and he exudes holiness. He is full of compassion, but he is also full of justice. Jesus portrays righteousness and mercy, but is also a God of wrath. And in Revelation... The wrath of the Lamb, or the wrath of God, is on full display, and it's a recurring theme. Warren Wearsby, I think I have it in your notes there, but Warren Wearsby says, if men and women will not yield to the love of God and be changed by the grace of God, then there is no way for them to escape the wrath of God. You see, God, I'm thankful for this. I am thankful that God is very um, forgiving in nature, aren't you? I'm very thankful that God is a God of second chances, but here's what it comes to and we have to understand this and most people just miss the boat well well why would god just destroy the earth one we aren't god and we'll never fully comprehend but but god gives mankind time after time chance after chance to repent to turn from him to turn from their sin to him to to god and yet time after time time after time mankind as a whole not all of it but mankind as a whole a lot of times what do they do they turn away from god right? They rebel against God, the creator of the universe. And there's going to come a time when, when enough is enough. Parents understand this, right? You try to give grace and mercy towards your kids, but there comes a time when enough is enough. Punishment has to come down. Now, sometimes we have to balance that because sometimes it's all about punishment and not about grace and mercy. And then sometimes it's too much grace and mercy. But God is a God of both. And we have to understand that. And what we see in these two seals is, again, the wrath on full display. And let's jump into it quickly. The fifth seal tonight, verses 9 through 11, what this is in your notes is this. What we see is a prayer meeting in heaven. We had just a small prayer meeting tonight. And what we see in verses 9 through 11 is a prayer meeting in heaven. The fifth seal opens to reveal a prayer meeting in heaven involving the souls of those who were slaughtered. Look at verse number 9. And when I had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... The souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge? They wanted God to judge and avenge those who had killed them and done uh, these despicable things to them and and really to mankind. Our blood on them that dwell on the earth, and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season, and to their fellow servants, also and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So there was coming a time when God was going to fulfill it. Now, in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament priests presented an animal sacrifice, the victim's blood oftentimes was poured out at the base of the brazen altar. In Old Testament imagery, blood represents life. So here in Revelation, the souls of the martyrs under the altar indicates that their lives were given sacrificially to God. The Apostle Paul had the same idea in mind when he wrote Philippians 2, 17 and 2 Timothy 4, 6. The Greek word martis, which is where we get our English word martyr, simply means a witness. And we talked about a martyr on Sunday. when In Acts chapter 7, the first martyr of the early church was Stephen. He was a witness of Jesus Christ. And, you know, the great picture there of, of Jesus Christ and Stephen, that he was praying for mankind to, to, to be forgiven of their sins. But what we see here in the end times is that these individuals remain faithful to God and to his word. But faithfulness, understand this, faithfulness doesn't always just exempt us from trouble. Faithfulness is important. It's key. But the saints were slain by their enemy because of their witness to the truth of God and the message of Jesus Christ. I want to read just a quick story uh, from one of my commentaries. Let me find it really quick. Just give me just a second guess i should have uh, had it already keyed i didn't hang on where to go there it is on december 2nd 2014 the christian post carried a story titled the vicar of baghdad i want you to listen to this because this kind of sets the stage tonight four iraqi christian kids were beheaded after refusing to convert to islam telling isis militants no we love jesus that story contained the following four Iraqi children who were all beheaded by the Islamic State refused to betray Jesus and graciously died in his name when the ISIS militants gave them one last chance to stay to say Islamic words of conversion. The Reverend Canon Andrew White revealed in, the, in, in a recent interview, he said, White recounted the recent incident with the ISIS militants beheaded the four kids, all who were under the age of 15. Again, when the kids refused to say, that they would follow the prophet Muhammad and, and told the ISIS fighters that they love and will always follow Jesus. I mean, what an amazing picture. What an amazing thing to say, especially as a kid. ISIS turned up and they said to the children, you say the words that you will follow Muhammad. The children, all under 15, said, no, we will not. For we love Yasua or Jesus. We have always loved Yasua. We have always loved. Yasua. We have always followed Yahshua. Yahshua has always been with us. The militants said, no, say the words. The children said, no, we cannot do that. And because of that, the militants beheaded them. You think about, man, why would you read a story? Why would you, why would you say something like that? Because here's the truth. Martyrs for Jesus appear repeatedly in Revelation. And in the end time, there are going to be people just like these kids that are going to stand up for truth, stand up for righteousness, stand up for what is holy, what is faithful. They're going to be faithful to Jesus' words, and and I can't even imagine what those kids were going through as they knew that their life was in danger, and yet they said, you know what? We're not going to turn our backs on Jesus Christ. What a testimony right there, right? I mean, that that should convict many of us, but you know, I'm thankful that it hasn't come to that here in America, but it very well may come a day where where we are threatened with beheadment or imprisonment or many other things. And I hope and pray that if that day were to come, that I would remain faithful to Jesus Christ, to remain faithful to him who has never let me down. And what we see in Revelation during this great tribulation is that there are going to be people that are, going to be saved. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. And the ones that are saved, many of them, because of their salvation, because of their uh, sacrifice to to Jesus and their following of Jesus and their love for Jesus, are going to be killed. And there are story after story that I could read and and tell you of, even today, that are happening. I mean, our missionary was here a couple weeks ago and, you know, talked about even in Burkina Faso, there's a very terrorist organization that is that is alive and prevalent we wouldn't go there but it happens all the time kids and parents are are being killed and really what you see in, in acts as we're we're going to get there in, in chapter eight they're going to be imprisoned, they're going to be killed many of them are going to be thrown to to the lion's den the roman coliseum for sport and yet so many of them said you know what i'm not going to back down I'm going to keep following Jesus Christ. Imagine that. I I want that to sink in. Just imagine that. That even with the threat of persecution, even with the threat of imprisonment, even with the threat of death, they said, you know what, I'm still going to be faithful to Jesus. And yet many of us in America, with all of our freedoms, with all of our comforts, we can't even show up to church. We can't even tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, really, as I, as I study this, it, it, you know, there are some terrifying things as you study Revelation, but one, it gives me hope that there are still people that need to be saved. We'll talk about that next week. But, but also, I need to do a better job. You need to do a better job of telling people about Jesus Christ. And martyrs for Jesus appear repeatedly in Revelation and throughout church history. There are some important truths that we see in these verses. Let's continue on verse number 10. What we see here is this. We need to trust God's sovereignty to make things right according to his time. All of those that have been slain, these martyrs in heaven, are basically saying, God, when are you going to avenge us? When are you going to do what needs to be done? But I like what Adrian Rogers, the late preacher of the past, he said, God is never early. He is never late. He is always right on time. He is never early, never late, always right on time. You see, we know this to be truth, but how often do we struggle believing this? How often do we struggle believing that God is not late? He's always on time, even though it doesn't make sense to us. Even though things, even in our country, are, are going to, to pot or whatever you want to say. God, where are you at? God is still there. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. Even though it doesn't make sense in our time, God is still working things out according to his purposes. And what they're praying is that since their murderers are still alive on this earth, these martyrs are apparently from the early part of the tribulation, but they're, they're praying for vindication. They're praying, God, how long is it going to be until justice is served? And the great question is not whether their enemies would be judged, but when they would be judged. You know, how long, O Lord, has been a cry of God's suffering people throughout the ages? And the saints in heaven know that God will eventually judge sin and establish righteousness on this earth. They just don't know God's exact timetable. And it's not personal revenge that they're seeking, but vindication of God's holiness and God's justice. And when we pray this, the next step is important. We need to rest in God's providence and rest in his plan, knowing that God will work out things in his time, not our time. Verse number 11, it talks about this white robe that was given to them. What this signifies is blessedness, and dignity, and honor, and purity, and victory, and the imputed righteousness that Christ has upon his saints. Verse number 12, what we see is the opening of the sixth seal. And really, If you think about this, this is a terrifying thing that is going to happen. But again, take hope. If you're a Christian, you don't have to go through this. Revelation is never meant to scare. It's only meant to offer hope and a reminder of what is to come and a reminder that really we still have a job to do. But with the sixth seal, what we see is a disruption of nature. A disruption of nature. And what's interesting here is the contrast between the prayer of the martyrs that we see in verses 9 through 11 and the prayer of the unbelievers on the earth. Because the prayer of the martyrs are praying, God, avenge us. Verses 10 and 11. Later on, verses 15 15 through 17, those that are unbelieving with all of these judgments coming on on them and and the, the disruption of nature, what they're praying is, hide us. And what we see... First of all, is that judgment, judgment is cosmic in scope. It's cosmic in scope. As the Lamb opens the sixth seal, there is a cosmic and catastrophic, catastrophic upheaval that results. That brings a disruption to the very laws of nature that God himself put in order when he spoke the world into existence. And the opening of the sixth seal contains six specific and terrifying elements. All of nature will be affected. I said last week, it's really, it's the start of the end of the world as we know it. And what we see here is there is going to be a great earthquake. The blackening of the sun, the the moon becomes as blood. The stars fall to the earth. The heavens depart as a scroll and every mountain and island will be moved. I mean, just, just think about that. Let me read these verses. And then we'll talk a little bit more about them. It says in verse number 12, and and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood and the stars of heaven fell into the earth. I mean, just think about, you know, we have meteor showers and things like that, but just imagine literally stars in the sky falling out of their orbit, falling out of the sky to earth. I mean, that would scare anyone. Stars of heaven falling to the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, or, you know, leaves on a tree is just, you know, the leaves are falling down. That's the picture we see here. When she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain, and this is, this is astounding too, Every mountain mountains I mean we think of a mountain, we think of something as majestic and stable, right? Even the mountains <laughs> are going to be destroyed, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. just imagine that imagine the the himalayans and and uh the uh oh, what's the what's the name of the mountain there um, yeah Mount everest you know the the highest the highest mountain on earth moved. <laughs> it's crazy when you think about that. And this is exactly what's going to take place in the opening and the ushering in of the sixth seal. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men, every bondman and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and the rocks and the mountains. Just a couple quick things about some of these events, this violent earthquake. I mean, earthquakes often accompany divine visitation in scripture. Zechariah 14.4 tells us that when when the Messiah comes uh, on one day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to the west. And what we're going to see is these cosmic upheavals that will happen. The moon likewise is affected and appears like the deep red color of blood. You know, some speculate that worldwide earthquakes will produce catastrophic volcanic activity, spewing ash and smoke throughout the atmosphere we don't know for sure and that this causes the darkening of the sun and the reddening of the moon whatever the cause all of this is a sign that god visiting his world in judgment but there's more as the stars of heaven fell the word translated stars simply refers to any celestial body large or small so we think of small stars sometimes we think of small but what about the planets having the appearance of a star, a meteor or asteroid, shower is possibly in view as they fall, as the fig tree drops and and shakes off her, her untimely figs. But then John then writes in verse 14 that the sky is separated like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain, every island was moved from its place. Precisely what this describes, we can only guess, but what we do know is that there is a total cosmic meltdown. The day of the Lord has arrived in its climactic and eschatological fashion. The wrath of the Lamb is here. And we think, man, some people are like, man, I I can't believe God would do that. But the truth is, God is holding back his judgment because he wants people to be saved. He wants mankind to hear the message of salvation. And remember, no one can open those seals or anything unlock those seals except for the lamb, except for Jesus Christ. He has the authority, and once he does, in the sense, all hell breaks loose. We continue on, what we see here is that judgment also is comprehensive. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that it does not matter your social status. This is gonna affect kings and nobles, all the way down to slaves and freemen. All mankind will run for their lives under God's judgment. Divine judgment is the great equalizer. God's judgment is comprehensive in that all will give an account. And I can't help but think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, I think it is, where it says, one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he, and and It's astounding. The the last point here, quickly, and, and I'll talk about this. Judgment is inescapable. Judgment is inescapable. No one can escape it. The astounding thing to me is that they know where this judgment is coming from. Look what it says in verse 16. Instead of the mountains and rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. Who are they talking about? God, Jesus, right? They know where this judgment is coming from. You think, okay, if they know where judgment is coming from, why don't they just repent? (laughs) But they're saying, why don't you just, we're we're trying to hide and just let the mountains and the rocks just fall on us, just kill us. For the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? You know, you'd think that divine judgment would drive people to Christ, right? But tragically, that's not what happens. I'm reminded of Pharaoh. In the Old Testament, in Exodus with the plagues. What happened with Pharaoh? You'd think that plague after plague after plague would open his eyes to the truth, right? That he would trust Christ as his Savior. You'd think that would happen, right? But that's not what happened. What happened? The Bible says he what? Hardened his heart. And that's exactly what's going to happen with countless thousands upon thousands. <laughs> what's going on here is Pride and stubbornness stands in the way of people being saved. And this this happens today. People hear the truth of Jesus Christ. they, They hear messages preached, but their pride and their stubbornness keep them from being saved. But let's go on a deeper level for the Christian. Pride and stubbornness keep Christians from getting right. So pride and stubbornness keep mankind from getting saved a lot of times, but it also keeps Christians from getting right. And I have seen that in my five years as a pastor and in my 36 years of existence, being in a pastor's family and and growing up in a home like that. I have seen, especially Christians, I've seen countless Christians, prideful, stubborn, unwilling to repent, unwilling to say that they're wrong because they're never wrong and unwilling to turn from their wickedness. And do what they're supposed to do. And it just, it, look, I, I've been there. You think about kids sometimes, you get on them, and, and sometimes what happens is instead of just breaking down and in humility, and okay, mom, dad, I'm sorry, please forgive me, what do they do? They just, nope. I mean, I've seen it with my own kids. they just buck up and, you know, get even more stubborn. But we do the same thing as adults, don't we? We hear the truth of God's word, we hear the message, and we know we need to change, we know we need to do what's right, but I'm not changing. It's my life. I'm gonna do what I want to do. But what this teaches us again is that you cannot hide from the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God of the universe. You think about it. Jonah, he went to the depths of the sea to hide from God. But did it work? Yeah. No? Thanks, Nate. Jonah tried to hide from God, didn't work. These people are gonna try to hide. In the mountains and in caves, but still you can't hide from God and you cannot hide from the wrath of the Lamb. Craig Keener talks about this passage. He says this, the impact on the reader is complete. There is no security, no firm ground to stand on because even the mountains are going to separate. Nothing in the universe to depend on except God himself. The rest of creation will Collapse and yet countless thousands will still blaspheme him and still refuse. But all hope isn't fully lost because what we'll see in chapter 7 really is that there will be people saved during the tribulation. And in chapter 7, it, it gives us hope because really what's going to happen is revival in the midst of this chaos. A great day of judgment is coming, yes. But for the Christians, first, take hope knowing that if you're saved, you'll stand victorious with your king, that you will not go through this. But if you continue to reject Jesus as your Savior and do not trust him as your Savior, then one day you will stand before him in judgment. You see, we will either rejoice in his glorious grace or be terrified before his righteous wrath. I would rather rejoice in his glorious grace instead of live terrified in his righteous wrath. Look, judgment is coming, so first and foremost, if you're not saved, settle your salvation now. Here's the key truth of this lesson tonight. A day is coming when the Lord's wrath will be poured out on his enemies, but until that day, believers are called to be faithful, even unto death. Look, we have freedoms in America, and I'm thankful for those freedoms, but there may come a day when our freedoms are taken away. We're somewhat seeing that today. But even if they're taken away, even if they're fully taken away, and we cannot worship freely, the call for the church is still to be faithful, isn't it? To be faithful to God, to be faithful to Christ. Even in face of persecution and judgment and possible imprisonment and possible death, we should stand firm knowing that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our King. I would hate to stand before Jesus and and be ashamed because... I denied him. But how many countless Christians have denied him and really just kind of living however they want to live? So the encouragement tonight, yes, I mean, it's terrifying what's going to happen, but my reminder to you is just stay faithful. Stay faithful to God. Stay faithful to his word. He has called us to be faithful. I think of the song we sang earlier, worthy is the lamb. And crown you now with royalty. I mean, all all, all the things that we sing about and talk about and, and preach about, man, worthy is the lamb. Yes, the wrath of the lamb is going to be on full display, but the lamb is also worthy. And I'm thankful for that. Let's pray.